Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> uh, I have a little story that I could relate. <laughs> Do it, please, because I got nothing. I was at the I was out at the movies last night at a movie theater beloved to you and I. Uh, the theater at the Americana at Brand. Oh yeah, this is a uh, a torpy outdoor mall in Glendale, California. Was it snowing when you left? Uh, no, uh, we and our wives went there to see Arrival one time when we were all in L.A. It's true. Uh, a Dennis Villeneuve picture. Uh, Villeneuve. I don't know how to say his last name. Anyways, uh, I was trying to go out with my wife to see his new movie, Blade Runner 2052 or whatever. And uh, we're sitting in the theater and a trailer comes on for a new movie about Winston Churchill. And uh, and as the trailer ends... A guy sitting directly in front of me in a French accent yells at the screen, He killed millions of Germans! He is an asshole! What? <laughs> and uh, we're, like, my wife and I look at each other like, What is this guy's fucking problem? But then the next movie that plays, is, or the next trailer that plays is about special ops guys that got sent into Afghanistan the day after 9-11. And, uh, and like that trailer ends and the guy just like keeps yelling at the screen, like, who is paying for this propaganda? (laughs) Oh my God. People, people are like, are like really uncomfortable in the theater. And I just lean forward and I say, listen, man, you're, you're in a country where some bad things have happened in theaters and you're making people really uneasy. I'm asking you to quiet down. Or I'm going to go tell the the theater management to kick you out, and they're going to kick you out of here. And wow, good he, job by you, Ben. He turns around and he says, "Are you threatening me? Are you threatening?" <laughs> and, and then I was like, "No, I'm not threatening you. I'm saying shut the fuck up, or you're going to get kicked out." And at this point, my wife is like convinced that this guy is going to like pull double Uzis out of his coat and just start shooting up the theater. So she insists that we go. And he basically walked everybody in the theater. Every single person, not him and his stupid buddy that were there to see the the movie, left out of fear because he was so fucking unhinged and crazy. Wow. And and so we go to the theater people and we're like, hey, listen, there's a crazy guy in there. Everybody is scared to be in there with him. And he's also like, even if he is harmless, which it kind of seems like he is, uh, like... He is guy that thinks it's fine to yell in the movie theater, and that's not a fun guy to be in there with when you're trying to watch a movie. That's not harmless. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, like it kind of like it tiptoes right up to the line of yelling fire in a in a crowded theater. You know, like like he he started yelling free speech shit at me, and I 
like I walked out and I was like, wait a minute, like that's like not really protected speech, like like making making crazy like pronouncements about about shit in you know in a movie theater, uh, not necessarily a, a place where you are free to just like scream your crazy ideas at everybody. There are very few rules about seeing a movie in a movie theater, and I thought that they were almost universal, Ben. The rules, well, of course, being sit as still as possible. <laughs> Do not use a cell phone for any reason. And shut the fuck up. Don't sit right behind me with a pocketbook full of individually wrapped hard candies that you then crunch on. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I we went out and, like, uh, we told the the people at the theater and like my wife and I just ducked into like a, another theater to like listen for when they walked out with him and we're standing there waiting and like nothing is happening. And so I go out and I'm like, Hey, like, are, are we, uh, are we getting rid of this guy or what's going on? And they're like, Oh yeah, well he's not doing anything now. So <laughs> and I was like, wow, he emptied the theater out guys. And like, so we go up and we're like, let's, let's just get a refund. And the yeah. guy's like, yeah, you can get a refund. And so he, he walks us up and he's processing it. And I'm watching like all of the other non-crazies from the theater come out to get their refunds. And because they were also, all also kind of like waiting in a place where uh, yeah. if, if they took him out, the guy wouldn't see them, you know? Right. Because they didn't want him to like be waiting for them in the parking lot probably when, when they came out. But... Um, and also, like, you all would have gone back into the theater had he been walked, right? Or no? Right. We just wanted to watch the movie. So this yeah. the theater winds up having to refund every single person in the room and comp us free tickets for the next movie while also kick... Like, they eventually decide to kick this guy out also. And it's like... So... <laughs> Like, what you could have done is just go in there with, like, extreme prejudice and say, hey, man, knock, like, like you, you broke the rules, you're going, and, uh, and take the one problem guy out and maybe his buddy also. And instead, they lost the business of an entire theater worth of people. How many people? I don't know. It wasn't, like, super strong attendance, but I would estimate, like, 15 or 20 people walked out and got, got refunds. That is crazy that the burden of proof is somehow greater than 20-ish people. (laughs) Like, what is their threshold? Yeah. It was weird, man. (laughs) And also with how you're not wrong about the feelings of being in a movie theater with strangers who may be unhinged. Like, I would have hoped that they would have snapped into a little more action yeah. about this like to a perceived threat like it's not like you came to them complaining of a loud talker you complained that someone was acting in an unstable way and and that is a totally different picture to paint like even like ex- extending the perhaps generous benefit of the doubt to him that he wasn't a crazy person but just had like strong political beliefs that he felt were uh, being disrespected by these trailers they're fucking trailers for movies. Like, nobody in here made these movies. We didn't decide what trailers to, to play. Like, who are you impressing with this tirade? For my friends and for my wife, I am famously known as someone who just does not move and does not talk in movie theaters during, <laughs> during movies. Like, like, like dead, almost. The Pranica Catatonia. 
they call right. it. That's, uh, for whatever reason, that's how I like to enjoy a movie. That is frequently how I enjoy live music also. Like, just uh, no spent cycles on anything <laughs> other, th- other than the absorption of the thing that I'm there to absorb. <laughs> and, uh, God, I want to say this was like, uh, this had to be like very early on in high school. Some friends' parents of mine were hosting an exchange student and uh and this young lady was from from germany i'm almost positive and everyone thought it would be a great idea if i took her out to a movie which (laughs) i did (laughs) and this nice young lady was a movie talker to the degree that i've never run into since like it was total normal volume conversation during the movie previews and that's something that you know like can be forgiven it's the previews i treat previews as the movie though like i don't want to talk during the previews i want to watch the previews so i don't want to talk during the previews either but i don't i don't mind people right you know kibitzing and being like oh should we see that no or you know yeah whatever like that's right that that's is totally that is, fine but it became abundantly clear that the movie portion of the evening was going to be treated the same way wow and my, my idiot high school sensibility, like I did not have the tools to <laughs> articulate how uncomfortable this was making me. And yeah. I think, like, I'm trying to remember what exactly I said to her, but I think it was something like, we don't talk during movies here <laughs> and I think, <laughs> and it was about that poorly phrased in this pair of seats. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I forgot what we were there to see, and like it was it was a total thing. Like people were turning around and staring, and like she was creating a disruption <laughs> to a lot of people. Yeah, and so and so I said that, and uh, she did not talk anymore for the movie, and uh, she did not really talk even after the movie. And that was mm. the last time I saw her. Mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just a cultural difference. Like the, I mean, I know that there's plenty of cultures where like the movie theater is primarily a social environment and also there's a movie going, you know? But yeah, it is hard to convince people for whom that is the normal state of affairs that what you want to do is just sit silently and absorb the movie. <laughs> Right, right. Well, uh, I think the lesson to be learned here, Ben, is you should have seen the movie at the Grove. Yeah, I should have gone to the Grove. Well, now I have a a pair of comp tickets at the Americana, so I might try and go back tonight and watch the film. God, it's so hard to choose between the Grove and the Americana. You're a a lucky man to be a a newly minted minted L.A. man. (laughs) I mean, the the benefit if I go back to the Americana is that I can get some more Din Tai Fung. Hell yeah, man. Those green beans, though. Those green beans, though. Ben, at the end of that movie in high school, I, uh, I became what the title of today's episode is. <laughs> Season one, episode three. A man alone. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. This episode opens with Dax on the meditation tip in a hollow suite, and uh, the doors fling open, and in walks Dr. Julian Bashir. How did you know it was me? And uh, without turning around or 
turning her head even, Dax uh, identifies who, who has walked up behind her. Why are there no locks in hollow suites? Riker would have big problems with this. I am a frequent meditator. I would have a real problem with someone walking in on me during. <laughs> I basically don't want anyone walking in on me during doing anything, Ben. Well, that's the, the big reveal is that she's not, in fact, meditating. She's doing a puzzle. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're working on a crossword puzzle, would it be bad for somebody to walk in on you during? Yeah, the point is it's during. It's during anything, and someone is walking in, Ben. Those are things I don't like. <laughs> one, one thing that has been very hard for my wife to understand in our relationship is that if I am in the kitchen cooking, I want... No interruptions of any kind Like I don't I don't want her in there I don't want her Asking me a question From across the house I want I am headphones in Head down Focusing on cooking And uh, That Makes zero sense to her Like the kitchen Is such a social space For my wife And it is the opposite For me That's fantastic <laughs> uh, Dax, like any old, is is primarily interested in doing puzzles. <laughs> and in this case, she's doing a puzzle that looks like a big bubble. Like, uh, you know those bubble makers that are like a rope that you dip in the bubble sauce and then yeah. you sort of fling around to make a giant bubble? That's what yeah. this looks like. You're always seeing somebody selling those on the street in Europe. They make it look so easy, Ben. Right. He killed so many of the bubbles. <laughs> you pop them without any any probable cause. <laughs> like, who is really complaining that Winston Churchill fought the Germans in World War II? Yeah, whose side is he on? I couldn't figure it out. Like, were you big Vichy proponent back then? <laughs> the guy's very pro-Vichy bubble. I... <laughs> Like I'm, I, I, I want to subscribe to his newsletter just to like see if I can figure out how unhinged he really is. Did he go into the parking lot and get into a Peugeot? <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, he turned the key. The Citroen uh, <laughs> lifted up off of its wheels and drove away. <laughs> beep beep. And uh, I think that's just about exhausted my entire knowledge of French culture. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have a bag of popcorn. He had a bag of snails, Adam. Mm, yeah, give me them snails. A 32-ounce cup of wine. <laughs> I'm drinking some German wine right now. I'm drinking a Gruner Veltliner as we record today's program. Now you're the one killing Germans, Ben. German <laughs> beers. I'm popping German grape bubbles. Bashir has continued his awkward love for Dax in a way that is starting to appear pretty pervy. He knows that Dax is hundreds of years old and is a ankylosaur. Like, he knows this. He's right. a medical professional. But he appears to totally embrace how superficial he's acting toward her. Like, he loves her container. Yeah, I would say that... The Dax body, the the Jadzia part of Dax is a football. The Ankylosaur part of Dax is Lucy, and and Doctor Bashir is Charlie Brown. 
this episode continues the introduction of a problem that we've run into with a number of characters on the show, which is the pronoun problem, W slash R slash T, Dax. <laughs> and Cisco has this problem throughout. Bashir has the problem. To a certain degree, Dax just sort of permits it to happen around her. Yeah. Like, she's she, not, she, she's she not hasn't super put into her, policing it. Yeah, she hasn't put her pronoun preference in her Twitter bio. So everybody's a little, a, li- a little bit wishy-washy on what the right thing is. Yeah. Like, in a way, it seems like she's really above it. Like, she's like, yeah, call me whatever gender you want. I don't give a fuck. Which is cool, but, I mean, for someone who is so wizened over the centuries... Like, she could not give any fewer fucks about <laughs> her friends struggling with this. She right. does not care. Mm-hmm. Which is both great and aggravating to everyone around her. I'd be curious to hear from uh, trans folks in our viewership, like, how that feels to them. Because I, on the one hand, it seems like, uh, you know, gender is unimportant in a way that seems like advanced in a way but also like if you're if if you're trans like your your gender identity is super important to you and right and like i could see this coming off as kind of patronizing of that like it's not dax's job to woke people to her (laughs) yeah which is i mean i think people in minority groups are often like stuck in this position of like people demanding to be wokened by them, you know? Right. Like, explain to me this. So there's that throughout this episode, which you and I have a varying degree of ability to relate to. But one thing we can relate to most acutely is an argument between Keiko and O'Brien happening in public (laughs) view, Ben. Yeah. Not a good look when you argue in public the way uh, Miles and Keiko are. Grapevine says Chief O'Brien and the missus are having problems. Uh, they're out of earshot, so you can't tell what's happening at this point, but not enjoying a meal. Yeah, they have, uh, they've gone out on a date, and the date has devolved into incoherent, distant bickering that everybody else in Quark's bar is uncomfortably observing from afar. (laughs) What we finally get at the end of this argument is that Keiko doesn't like it on DS9, and Miles is like, you knew what you were getting into, babe? (laughs) with When you were rolling with me? I'm a loner, Keiko. A rebel. How did Keiko and Miles not talk about this reassignment before going there? Keiko is treating this like a huge surprise. Do you really want to raise your daughter in this place, Miles? As if they did not discuss this beforehand. Yeah. If O'Brien didn't describe the scene before going here, he's made a terrible mistake. (laughs) I mean, it's like I can kind of relate to Keiko uh, right now because I am a freshly minted Angelino, despite my uh, desire to live in New York over my desire to live in L.A., like right. I, I made a, a choice uh, based on a uh, desire of my wife to move here. And, uh, you know, it is not exactly the environment I pictured inhabiting for the rest of my life. But, uh, 
But yeah, like I did also come into it with eyes open and it's not like I'm going to make it my wife's problem every time something about L.A. irritates me, you know? Right. And that seems to be the 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 ongoing terms of their emotional warfare right now. It's amazing that they got to episode three before we saw Keiko because she's not really even mentioned in Emissary and doesn't really come up in episode two either. So this is like our first glimpse of her as like, oh, yeah, she's going to be a character on this show, too. I mean, she's clearly been there the whole time because she came over off of the Enterprise when it was there in the in the premiere episode. But like, it's hard to tell what she was doing when Deep Space Nine was a total dump. Like it was more (laughs) of a jalopy two episodes ago than it is now. Yeah. What was she doing? Tidying up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like everybody. Do you realize how incredible this is? Of course you don't. There's a fun interaction between Quark and Odo as they are observing this fight where Odo says, like, I don't get the whole getting together with somebody thing. Not for me. I'll never understand the humanoid need to couple. As a non-humanoid, I can safely stay out of that. And then he goes on to describe his understanding of how relationships work and it seems to be like exclusively based on an observation of how miles and keiko's relationship works <laughs> oda discloses to cork that he's the moderator of the r slash red pill <laughs> reddit group at this point like he is he is very angsty yeah he has not had a good relationship history at all. I f- really feel like Odo s- could satisfy a woman, too, if, if she were open to it. She can, he, yeah, he can, uh, he can get to a lot of different densities and girths. I mean, he's going to fill her up. He's going to fill you up. Do you think that Odo and Jordy exchange uh, <laughs> DMs on Reddit a lot? Oh, man, they are best friends, I bet. <laughs> Bullshit, man. Speaking of huge popsicles, Adam... <laughs> Jake runs into Nog on the promenade. Nog, the uh, the young Ferengi, and, and Jake is like is like kind of tagging along and trying to make friends with him. And this kind of this episode really jumps rapidly between three storylines: the Jake and Nog friendship becoming a thing, and uh, the the Miles and Keiko conflict and another one that hasn't come up yet, but um, it's it's a really intense intercut uh, ABC story episode. Like there's there are scenes that are really short and really efficient in this episode in a way that I think is very new to the franchise. Right, and I think this Jake and Nog introduction is one of them. Jake, of course. Uh, the proof that attempts to kill the jumper have been unsuccessful <laughs> is in a head-to-toe brown onesie. And Nog is enjoying, like, a rocket pop with an extremely flared base. Yeah. That thing's not getting stuck up anywhere, Ben. Well, with this, uh, with this giant space butthole off the, uh, off the edge of the station, you gotta, you gotta flare the base of basically everything. <laughs> Indeed. The A story in this episode is, uh, starts in in this same conversation between Quark and Odo, uh, 
when Odo notices a Bajoran that he has a strong negative reaction to hanging around in Quark's bar, and he's like, where'd, uh, where'd that asswipe show up from? And Quark says that uh, he showed up a few days ago on a transport, and uh, now he's here on the station. And so Odo pretty quickly like goes up to this dude and is like, hey, buddy, you have 26 hours to get off this station. Yeah, he fucking kind of assaults him in front of everyone. Yeah, it's not really uh it's not really the way that uh you establish command presence if you're if you're a cop <laughs> like completely losing your cool in the yeah. first interaction with somebody. Not a good look. No. Odo's a space station cop who doesn't obey the rules. <laughs> Get the hell off my station. God damn it. <laughs> Odo, you can't just throw people around the promenade like that. You've caused enough problems in this precinct. <laughs> Odo, I'm gonna need your shield and your peace. But Sarge, I am the shield and the peace. Uh, yeah, Odo, uh, doesn't play by the rules at him, but he gets results. And that's what's important. <laughs> um, but in this assault, like, it's, it's one of those things where he's, like, jumping down the guy's throat and, uh, Cisco has to, has to break up his his hang with Dax to run downstairs and get in between them. And it, uh, it, you know, very narrowly avoids being a pretty ugly scene. Yeah, it's interesting to see... I mean, Quark is a little bit of a peacemaker here, right? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like... Um, you know how in The Big Lebowski, like, Lebowski is a character that we know to be a very chill man, but in mm-hmm. almost every scene, he's losing his shit at somebody because everything is going so... F- <laughs> fucked around him right like that's sort of how odo is in this episode like he is a guy that is all about following the rules and and justice but um he's like bending them to the breaking point because he really hates this guy this guy ibadan like we get the sense that he and odo go way back but odo in a lifetime of arresting people goes way back with a lot of people he's and he's fairly anonymous to the viewer like what makes this guy so special is the fact that odo hates him so much i feel like star trek is so obsessed with casting guys that look like barnaby in this show (laughs) yeah like our our bad guy in the last episode was a real barnaby and this guy's a real barnaby it's just kind of like generic ass white guys with generic 90s white guy haircuts and we're supposed to think that they're so bad yeah, it's blow dryers all the way down. <laughs> so this guy goes into a hollow suite and he's having this massage and we get a close up on the masseuse's fingers and they are just like webbed in the most upsetting way possible. And then the the fingers kind of like pull back and in comes a black gloved fist holding a knife and the knife goes right through the guy's back and he is murdered and adam i was trying to think what sounds worse murder or having those fingers touch you i mean clearly ibadan wanted it like that like like this hollow program is like one of many massage programs that clearly has a sexual component at the end of it because this hollow character starts kissing him 
on the back, right? And we know where massages that include kisses end up, right? It ends up with a penis going through a webbed finger. <laughs> what is abnormal sexual behavior? Who decides, you know? That sounds like, so painful. I- Ibadan's clearly like fucking those hands later, right? He's a hands guy. Yeah, I don't know. Is that kinky? Is that weird? You tell me, is it? Who's to say? Exactly. We don't really know where Bajorans keep their genitals. I guess we don't. Yeah. But we know where they like to put them, which is hands. <laughs> so this is a this is a stone cold whodunit because they're like they're doing the the crime scene investigation, and it's like, all right, we know that the door opened twice. One was when he came in. One presumably is when the killer left. But there's no, like, beam-in evidence. We can't figure out how there was a killer in here that he wasn't aware of when he entered the hollow suite. Bashir is such an idiot in this scene. He's like, he takes a look at uh, Ibadan's unhappy ending, and he's like, the killer had to have a decent knowledge of Bajoran anatomy to kill this guy with this knife. Like, Oh, do you think so, Doctor? Stabbing anyone in the back like that? <laughs> <laughs> isn't going to kill them pretty much 99% of the time. Right, and like if it doesn't work the first time, you still have the chance to pull it out and do another stab. Right. The picture that gets painted implicates Odo in this. Everyone saw Odo and this guy fight on the promenade. They they can't seem to, to nail down how someone got into the hollow suite and out without being detected. And it seems pretty clear that like the only type of person that could do that could be a goo person. Right. It's like the only person that could get in is could have like slipped under the door. But if a, what does a goo person need with a knife? If they can just turn their hand into a knife? Well, do they find the murder weapon? Yeah, yeah, that's just it. Like, the murder weapon's still sticking out of the guy's back. But what I'm saying is if a shapeshifter wanted to kill a person, they don't need a murder weapon to do it. They are the murder weapon. Of course, the parents are dead. Yeah, and you couldn't bring the knife in with you if you're a goo person. There's a really fun bit of trivia here where, you know, when the implication is that Odo or someone like Odo did this... Because his alibi is the bucket that he has to sleep in every 18 hours. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's revealed that Odo needs some regeneration time in a bucket. And at this point, that, uh, that song from that children's game popped in my head. Ben, did you ever play Mr. Bucket? Oh, Mr. Bucket. The robotic bucket and his <laughs> hands are covering the lid and like the kids run around and pick up the balls that shoot out of his mouth. I never played it, but I vividly remember the TV commercial. <laughs> that commercial is one of the classics. Uh, Mr. Bucket. <laughs> what happens when Odo is implicated here is people come out of the woodwork as being anti-Buckites. Yeah. They start doing the whole like torch mob situation. Start yeah. throwing bricks at Odo's office? It's not a good scene at all. Yeah, I mean, like, presumably these are the same kind of people that would have been sympathetic to the Tana Los school of thought that this should be all Bajorans and no aliens around here. I had the same thought. Like, where the fuck did all these Bajorans come from? He's... Like, this, this station is crawling with them. Why are these Bajorans all such fucking xenophobes? Where did they get the brick? Where did they, <laughs> what are bricks doing laying around there? Somebody was opening up like a hipster speakeasy type bar down the down the way, see if they could compete with Quark. And the, they were they they brought up a bunch of brick to make like a fake brick wall. But 
you're building a space station. You have construction materials like transparent aluminum and titanium. <laughs> what are they doing building office windows out of like shattery glass? <laughs> now, when you're constructing an office cubicle on a distant space station, you're going to want to use a laminated glass that has several layers of plastic in between the lights. That way, if there's any breakage, the sheet will hold together and prevent anybody from getting through the door. It'll keep your angry mob outside and the heat inside, keeping you warm and cozy while your angry mob screams at you from outside. Enjoy a nice, peaceful rest in your bucket (laughs) while maniacs storm the gates. Now for a standard regeneration bucket, I like to use a five-gallon Home Depot orange bucket. (laughs) They're real steel at $5.99. We picked up this nylon bucket bag to go around the outside, which has handy pockets for ratchet wrenches, (laughs) screwdrivers, torque wrenches, and even an Allen wrench. They do that thing where the angry mob is outside Odo's office and they, like, fire a phaser into the air. (laughs) Like, you never see the end of that phaser beam, but, like... No one clears the ceiling for that. It would be fun to cut to the exterior of the station and just show a beam of light going off into space. <laughs> Whoops. There's sort of a uh, a leader of this group, right? Do you know Mr. Zero? Yeah, he was the guy that was hanging out with, uh, with, with what's-his-face, the bad guy. He's another real blonde, blow-dry guy. Yeah. He's, he's the rabble-rouser of the group. He's the guy lighting people's torches. Right. He's the leader of the anti-Buckites. They really have cast one kind of guy on this show. This show is beginning to demonstrate a difficulty in, in subtlety, right? Because in this episode, in past prologue, the last episode, there's a lot of suspicious squints at the end of scenes. <laughs> in this episode, there's just a guy wandering around with a hood, looking around at people. Yeah, it's like, I wonder if that's the villain. <laughs> Yeah, like, they don't have a good command of subtlety on this show quite yet. And the mystery is so interesting before they, like, pan over to that guy sitting creepily at the bar, you know? Right. I can totally picture the producers going like, wow, we've done a great job of diversity and casting with this uh, with this main cast. Let's just cast all white guys that look exactly the same for any, like, <laughs> tertiary characters that we might have in the program. <laughs> They do a bunch of like scrapes of this guy's uh, this guy's room on his ship, and they they get some DNA back, and they're like studying it and stuff. And there's something a little off about it, so they they put the DNA into some barbicide, and it starts growing into a cocoon like flesh ball that is truly disgusting. When you put DNA into a liquid and it starts bubbling, that's really bad news. That's some gremlin shit right there. <laughs> yeah. Turns out uh, Dr. Bashir hijacked a large portion of the Enterprise's barbicide supply. Yeah, he's got baths of different sizes in there, and this thing is growing and pulsing in a disturbing way. While all this is going on, Jake and Nog are becoming prank buddies. They are uh, they are really hooliganing around the promenade. They release some insects uh, behind some people that are trying to enjoy a nice meal at the uh, Rainforest Cafe. These insects cause these people to get very itchy and then start 
changing colors. These people have like the best table at the Rainforest Cafe. It's the one off in the corner by itself, <laughs> which is why it's so unbelievable that Nog is basically rooting around under their table undetected <laughs> yeah. as he releases these bugs onto them. How did he like, approach undetected? I think they just got lost in each other's eyes. Like they're yeah. clearly on a on a fairly significant date here. Yeah, this might be third date. Like this, there might be there might be sexy times after this, but instead it's itchy and colorama. Not fun. Yeah, they really go through some shit here. Jake and Nog get nabbed very quickly. Like the folks de- definitely don't get any help from anybody. But like the second Jake and Nog start stop laughing, there's like security guy hands on both of their shoulders, and they're getting marched off to the brig. <sighs> One of the stories that is woven through this episode is this O'Brien and Keiko story. They're still not happy with their circumstances. O'Brien's offering to get transferred to another station. Keiko's like, then I'm going to feel like a shithead for forcing your transfer. And when we see Nog and Jake get up to no good, like we tilt up to Keiko, who is like watching from above and is like... (laughs) Doing that very matronly, like, kids these days. Yeah. Always up to no good. Like, what these kids need is structure. And so she sort of writes her own storyline in, in describing the, the problems with the kids on the station. She's like, Don't you miss the schools you used to go to, Jake? What these kids need is a place to go. There needs to be a school here. What it reveals is that Keiko is smarter than Starfleet. It's like, Starfleet... Made a totally insane omission by not making a plan for there being people on this station. Like, if you bet early on that Keiko would ever be portrayed as smarter than Starfleet, you were a billionaire right now. Because <laughs> that bet paid big time. Like, Starfleet's like, okay, we're going to be taking over a, like, essentially a, 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 medium-sized town that has the capacity for like thousands of people to be living on it. Um, let's give them um, doc, one doctor, one science officer, one guy that knows how to work a wrench, and one guy to run the place. Uh, we'll have one of the locals be the first officer. Hmm. Anything else we need? Hmm. Hmm. Nope. Can't think of anything. It, they live in a casino hotel with a lot of security. That's what this place is. Like, what did they expect society to be like here? Right. And it is, like, predictably a vicey nasty place and right like like keiko sees that there is like a vacuum of civil society on on the station and like the the one thing that she is in a position to do is provide some structure to the children which is like man i cannot believe that they that uh, that starfleet blew it on this how many people are married on this station to a spouse without a station-specific job that are just looking for something to do? Like, how is Keiko the one that has come up with the idea to start a school? Yeah, like, why is it on her? Someone on the station is way qualified for this job that Keiko got because she asked for it first, and they have got to be pissed. Well, that's kind of the secret of uh, of getting of getting ahead, man, is like... It's not necessarily yeah. who's best for the job. It's who, who gets there and gets, gets into the position. Yeah, well put. I'm a terrible filmmaker, but I have a pretty good career going right now because I've been willing to put myself forward for things. Yeah, you're what they call good in the room. <laughs> Medium in the room. 
Or just in the room. <laughs> My rooms are frequently cold. <laughs> and that's the problem. Yeah. I promise. So Keiko's like, hey, uh, hey, Commander, I'm going to need some desks. I'm going to need some books. Let's start up a school. And Cisco's like, we got all kinds of room. We got all these desks. I didn't even notice how many desks we had. Like, you can have them. Like, everything is there for a turnkey school situation yeah well i mean i mean the the space is one thing but i guess everything else can just be replicated right i guess so like like she acts acts like getting computers for the school is a big deal it's not (laughs) everything's free it's the future cisco's sort of making a lot of big decisions here he he started a school he approved the school idea he also relieved mr bucket from security detail uh, while he's a suspect in this in this murder, like he left that for a long time, right? Because it's be- it, yeah. it becomes pretty clear that Odo is suspect number one, like when they are there at the crime scene. But he lets Odo go like two more beats into the investigation before he removes him, and uh, and Odo's had like a chance to you know investigate the guy's stateroom on the ship he showed up on and. Um, and like uncover more evidence that points at himself. <laughs> so Odo does not take this well. And fuck Odo, you should have recused yourself maybe 15 minutes before this. Yeah. Like it should not be attached to this investigation at all. And he basically blows up at Cisco he, at, at being rightfully put on leave for this. He makes this, this big speech about how, you know, there's laws that change depending on who's making them, but justice is a higher standard than that, and that's what he's interested in. But, like, you can't have justice where, like, somebody with a, a, an interest in the case is going to be deciding how the case goes. You'd think he'd been doing security for, like, a week. Like, this, <laughs> this, is, a, this is a guy who is a career security person, and he doesn't grok this. Is Odo super corrupt, Adam? <laughs> I don't know. He turns to Cisco and he's like, you just don't understand what's going on here. I'm interested in justice, yeah. not your rules, man. It is a guiding principle which God really based. And you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. But he comes, he comes back to his office and it's been like hate crime. They've written Bucket Boy on the, on the walls. and Bucket fucker. Why don't you get that bucket and fuck that bucket, bucket fucker? <laughs> yeah. Bucket and- fucker. <laughs> she a great big bucket fucker. Would you help me get this bucket into my van? <laughs> <laughs> you see, I, I broke my arm. I'm having a hard time with this bucket. It puts the lotion in the bucket. <laughs> it puts the lotion in the bucket whenever it is too old or else it gets the bucket again. <laughs> Uh, he gets a visit from an unlikely ally in Quark. I can find out who did it for you. Quark is like picking up the shattered iPads in the office, like and gathering <laughs> them. Like he gathers two or three of these iPads in his yeah. arms as he's talking to Odo. 
He's like, hey, Odo, do you have Apple Care? Because they'll, they'll <laughs> fix this for free the first two times, but then it's like $120 after that. You wouldn't believe it. I heard a story about the Enterprise, and they're using like busted up iPads on that ship. It's the flagship. What are they doing running around with they're these terrible iPads all rounded off and bent? Bent iPads? Give me a break. <laughs> Have some have some standards, Starfleet. I mean, come on. These guys are a joke. I can't believe they take over this station. <laughs> you and I are smarter than that, right? You and me, Odo? Quark is playing in the margins here in the way that Garrick does, in a really fun, interesting way. Like, he's saying stuff without saying it. He's helping our main characters in a way that's fun. I like that Quark walks normal. I know that it's non-canonical Ferengi, but like yeah. the fact that he carries himself with any amount of dignity is <laughs> such a smart choice. <laughs> Can you imagine seven seasons of him like scrabbling around like like the Ferengis did? <laughs> I feel deeply unqualified to judge anyone else's dignity, Ben. <laughs> I'm just saying, as a guy who has none, I appreciate it when I see it in others. Sure. <laughs> I'm maybe even a little jealous. So, uh, so yeah, he says, like, uh, Ibu Dan didn't really have, like, people from prison that would have wanted to kill him. He just hung out with, uh, with other like-minded Bajora dissidents when he was in prison. Because that's the, the backstory, is that Odo, Odo put this guy in jail for murdering a Cardassian, which um, he was released upon the Cardassians being kicked out of Bajor because the provisional government didn't consider killing Cardassians to be a crime. Early parole for murdering a Cardi. <laughs> Lucky Ibadan. Yeah. Ibadan didn't, didn't hate that Cardassian he killed. He hated what he had become because he killed that Cardassian. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, back in the Six Bay, Bashir has discovered that this flesh ball uh, shares Ibadan's DNA. Like, he just sort of has a moment of epiphany where he's like, holy shit, I think I know what this is. And they run a couple of tests, and sure as shit, it's, it's a slightly Xeroxed version of Ibadan. It's like, yeah, like a copy like of a copy. This lasagna pan that they've been growing it in has gotten bigger and bigger over the course of the episode until it's like it's like people shaped. Yeah. <laughs> it's like conveniently growing into the shape of a people. And he's like, yeah, this is just a clone of Ibadan. When you're making a clone person in a lasagna pan, Ben, you're going to want to keep those edge pieces for yourself. Oh, the yeah. That's ones. the best part. Yeah. It gets all crispy and caramelized over there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the uh, the guy that they found dead in the hollow suite was not Ibudan, but a clone of Ibudan. And so uh, this is this is discovered in Odo's presence, and he's like, "I think I know where where the real Ibudan is." And that is a smash cut to the purple hooded old man that uh, we've kept seeing the camera pan to with ominous music throughout the episode. Showing up back at Ebadon's suite and uh, Odo confronting him and then like wrestling him and pulling the Mission Impossible mask off of him, revealing him to, in fact, not be an old at all, but the original Ibadan. And Odo says, killing a clone is still murder. Odo pulls off this guy's purple hood like a, like a guy giving a circumcision. <laughs> Odo as Moyle. <laughs> totally Scooby-Doo's him. 
Ben, how about Star Trek introducing the idea of clones into this universe and just then sort of not treating it like the massive like story bomb that it is? Like Star Wars treats a clone story as an entire universe. And in Star <laughs> Trek, this is like a 40-minute episode. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, well, you know, I think it could be debated whether this is way better or vastly better than that fucking Star Wars movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So the button on the episode is Keiko has gone around and convinced all of the folks on the station, or at least four of the folks on the station, to put their kids in her new school. And Jake shows up, and then Nog shows up with with his dad, Rom. Um... And uh, Rom is like just as against Jake and Nog's friendship as Cisco is, which is a funny thing for Rom and Cisco to have in common. And uh, and uh, class begins, and and Keiko has outsmarted Starfleet. You just can't try to keep two friends apart like this, Ben. It's not going to work. No, it's never going to work. That's how you get people making podcasts together. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? There's sort of a lot going on in this episode. Like more than I It's like three episodes. It really is. There's a there's a story density to it that is fairly impressive. I'm not sure if any of the story is interesting enough on its own though. <laughs> like you could you could argue like, well, take one of the stories out and develop the others the others a little more fully, and I'm not sure that would be more satisfying than what we got. It's sort of like a a seven layer dip where five of the layers are refried beans. <laughs> so no, I don't think I like the episode. How about you, Ben? I feel like the first half of this episode is so strong and interesting, and it's so Star Trek as a place in such a fun way. And I think it really goes off the rails for me the second they pan over to old man in purple hood right the uncircumcised mm-hmm. it just stops it stops feeling like there's anything you know it's like okay i wonder who the fucking bad guy is gonna be you idiots yeah yeah <laughs> you know you might as well be holding up a bugs bunny sign that says ain't i a stinker like we know that this isn't possible because we know she is a fixture on the show in seasons to come but this episode made me think about how rarely Star Trek depicts an adult breakup, you know, like like that actually ends. Like we see a mm-hmm. lot of failed dates with Jordy specifically <laughs> where like where like, you know, uh, one person likes another, but that that interest is not returned. And so like the a relationship never gets off the launch pad. That happens all the time. But we but we what we rarely ever see is like. Two people that just don't work, and they don't work it out, and then they realize that, and then they and then they decide to separate. And it made me wonder, seeing O'Brien and Keiko together in this episode, if that would have been an interesting way to do it. Like, they have a kid. What if they got a divorce? How does that work on a station? Like, would would Keiko remain on the station because of the kid? Would Keiko try to take the kid with her? Like, how how yeah. how do politics like that work in this? in this future. So I don't know. Well, and, and like, this is the series that is willing to have characters with damage to their person. Right. You know, and, uh, and like having, 
having that really go badly for O'Brien, I feel like would have been an interesting uh, thing to explore for the writers. Yeah, and I mean, we'll find out how this whole school thing works, but like, I I think the problems that they're having are not a school away from a solution. Yeah, I mean, the screeds that Odo could have written on his uh, <laughs> on his blog about how unfair the the laws are for for men when <laughs> when you break up and you, and there's a kid involved. <laughs> The red bucket. Uh, we're going to get some letters. <laughs> Speaking of letters, Ben, uh, do we have any Priority One messages? Oh, we sure do, Adam. You snuck an episode title in there, Ben. Don't think I didn't notice that. <laughs> priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is from Lena Khan, and it is for Mark Engelbert. It goes like this. Dear Mark Plant, happy birthday. Love, Lena, the Coninator. <laughs> that is an almost Raz and or Plavim-like efficiency of language in a Priority One message. Happy birthday, Mark. Mark Plant. <laughs> Mark Plant. I wonder what Keiko would have to say about a Mark plant. I guess nothing now that she's left her career in botany. Well, I mean, one thing that Keiko packed in in her move to the station was about 40 bonsai plants. <laughs> Jesus, Keiko. There's, she's a sort of a lot of bonsai plants. Well, some of those bonsai plants live to be hundreds of years old. It's like, it's not so much a possession as a responsibility, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know, one thing in Keiko's life that could use a little bit of trimming is O'Brien's hair, which is uh, <laughs> which is maybe a level of poof that we haven't seen up to now. Yeah, get those little scissors out, Keiko. <laughs> yeah, give O'Brien a four-hour haircut. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is from Plevim. It is for Sam Raz, L, Kimberly, Josh, AJ, Michael, Amy, Brittany, the Gooch. Jason, and other Sam. Message goes like this. Fuck you guys. Fuck all of you. <laughs> Especially Trigger. He's the worst of the lot of you. Anna, I'm sorry I forgot your message, but I'm drunk in a public park in Milwaukee. They serve beer here. And I'm pooping now. Six exclamation points. I love Canada. And both kinds of beans. What kinds of beans? Like black beans and pinto beans? I love the and both kinds of beans had no period. Like, that is a, that is very typical of a drunk message. He used up all the, the characters on those exclamation points when he said he was pooping. <laughs> yeah, you, you take out one of those exclamation points, redirect it into a period, and you have a proper sentence, Plavim. But he's too drunk for that. Too poopy. I doubt this is the first priority one message that we've gotten that was sent from somebody pooping. Oh, yeah. But this is the first one that we've gotten from somebody that admitted that they were pooping. Well, hopefully it's the first of many, Ben. <laughs> first of many priority one messages. You can uh, create one of your own by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They're a great way to keep us going. In the production of this program. Thanks, guys. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you 
Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think in this episode it could only be Bashir who continues his long march into embarrassment <laughs> by continuing... Into, into self-parody? <laughs> yeah, into... He keeps walking into a wall with Dax over and over again. He's like a wind-up toy that, that has scooted across a floor and is just like banging into a wall, backing up, and then banging into a wall. <laughs> Dax being pretty cool with him up until now, but I'm wondering if there's going to be a moment where Dax is pushed to finally go like, fuck off, man. Like... Stop being weird. This isn't going to happen. You, you got to read the signs. Yeah. Weird that Bashir and Cisco get a little moment to talk over their shared discomfort with Dax. What is Cisco fucked up about? Cisco doesn't also have a sexual component to his grieving process over his friend, and yet they're both brought together by by like just an overarching discomfort with how to treat Dax in a weird yeah. way. Like to me, they don't share any currency about this at all. Like their currency isn't alike whatsoever. And yet they're brought together at the same lunch table to sort of share this thing. I don't know. It's clear that Cisco is like not quite clear how much, how much, how personal to get with Bashir. Yeah. This is a conversation Picard would never have with anyone in any season. Picard would never tiptoe up to the line the way Cisco does. Yeah. Yeah. He'd stay well back. Yeah, what about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is the angry mob that shows up <laughs> to uh, try to break into Odo's office. Mm. Um, never has an angry mob collectively seen reason so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like, Cisco shows up and, like, puts his hand up, and he's like, hey... You guys don't want justice. This is all about Rewenge. This is all about Omerta. And what I'm here to say to you is let the process proceed and you'll all get satisfying results when we find out what's really going on. And they're like, oh, that seems pretty reasonable. All right, well, uh, mob adjourned. Who wants to help scrub down the inside of this office? You, Barnaby? <laughs> Barnaby-looking guy, you want to help? Don't Other Barnaby-looking guy, you in? <laughs> Don't grab that bucket. That's the wrong bucket. Use this bucket. <laughs> Don't stick a mop in that. It'll it'll fight back. <laughs> Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm gonna head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. 
But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode of Deep Space Nine? The next episode is season one, episode four, Babel. A deadly virus sweeps over Deep Space Nine, and it's up to Kira to find an antidote. Sounds like an episode of the classic 1990s uh, Dustin Hoffman film Outbreak set Mm. in space. What you want to do is put Bashir in charge of a murder investigation and Kira involved in some sort of medical investigation. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess that's what's coming up next time, Ben. It is. What's coming up now is people going in droves to talk over this episode and other episodes on all of our different uh, social media outlets. You've got your subreddit, you've got your Facebook group and page, you've got your hashtag greatest gen on Twitter, where Adam is at Cut for Time and I'm at Benjamin R A H R. Uh, the show is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. If you're interested in supporting its ongoing production, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. 
Yeah, we really appreciate everybody that does that. Um, you know, it's no uh, no secret that I'm in the moving process right now, and as a freelancer, that has made it uh, a little bit scary. But uh, it's been a lot easier because I know that I have like a small amount of stability in my life because uh, people uh, value this show and um, and uh, donate to support it. And, yeah. Uh, it's been uh, uh, like it's been on my mind a lot lately, like how lucky we are to have uh, viewers that are that generous with their support of the program. Well, the uh, I think one of the big reasons the show is as good, quote unquote, as it is, at least production wise, is because we treat it like a job, uh, and yep. the support for the show is a big reason why we're able to do that. So, thanks for that. Thank you. Uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for a lot of the other music you hear on the program. And with that, we hope you join us next time for another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is a real bad case of the word salads. Did you ever see the uh, Schwarzenegger film? I think it's called The Sixth Day. Was that the one with Vanessa There's... L. Williams? No, that wasn't it. Maybe. I, no, uh, that w- I'm thinking of a different uh, Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, The Sixth Day was the one with the devil, right? With, no, it's got C- Steve Zahn, I think, and uh, and it's all about cloning. Oh, maybe not. Oh, not Steve Zahn. Michael Rappaport is in it. Oh, boy. There are two people insulted by that. <laughs> <laughs> the The line that I remember vividly from that uh, I kind of wished was in this, which is uh, in the like big like final action scene where Schwarzenegger is confronting the evil industrialist who's been cloning people the entire time. Schwarzenegger goes, why don't you clone yourself while you're still alive so you can go fuck yourself? <laughs> it's one of the most tortured action star quotables of all time. That that trailer line has maybe six too many words in it. Like they just yeah, yeah. couldn't quite edit that down into something that worked. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I know what we need to get him to get across, but I don't know how to get there. Maybe if he just says all of the words, we can cut to over his shoulder and we can just sort of <laughs> edit the dialogue down later on to yeah. a reaction shot. <laughs> Yay. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.